this idea of the pursuit of happiness and the prodigal son. And I'm going to talk about the son who went away this week. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to talk about the son who stayed. And then on the third time round, we're going to talk about the prodigal father, which is going to be fantastic. So one of the beautiful things in the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, is the main character, he's pondering this really big question. And the question is, in the American Declaration of Independence, it says they have the right to the pursuit of happiness. And his question is, how did they know to put the pursuit part in? Because he is absolutely pursuing, chasing down, searching for, looking at every angle for this idea of happiness. He is running and he calls these different parts in his life. This part of my life I call running. This part of my life I call being stupid. And he's absolutely pursuing this idea of happiness. And I, it got me to thinking, what is this notion of happiness? And I don't think it's what we think it is. I don't think it's quite as simple as, you know, those moments when you're full, filled with joy because something was fantastic because then it fleets away again. It, it actually can't be as simple as happiness is about a moment in time where I feel kind of good. It's way more complex than that. There's this quote here, Eleanor Roosevelt said, happiness is not a goal. It's a byproduct of a life well lived. I wonder whether that's right. I'm not sure. I think it's kind of complex. But I think this story of the prodigal son might give us some great insights. One of the things that I see happening around me in the world is that people are pursuing happiness in three different ways. They're pursuing it in self. They're searching for their inner knowing, their their inner being. They're joining yoga classes. They're climbing mountains. They're having epic world trips and doing all sorts of things to try and find themselves. And the world is actually searching. The people in the world around us are searching. The other thing that I'm noticing is that they're looking for happiness in experiences. So has anybody heard of Red Balloon? Like you go and you don't buy a present and you wrap it anymore. You actually buy an experience for somebody. So you might drop buy them a drive in a race car or you might buy them a hot air ballooning trip or you might buy them a scuba diving trip. But people are searching for an experience and that, that ultimate experience, that next hit that they're going to get from life and hopefully find happiness in that place. The third place I see people around me searching for happiness and I'm the biggest victim of it all is consumerism. That stuff is actually going to make me happy. If my TV is that much bigger, height and width, I'm going to be happier. Or, or if, if my car is like the newer car or if, if we get rid of the furniture and we put like new fantastic furniture or just clothes. Oh my goodness. It's absolutely the pursuit of happiness that I see going on around me. But there's this biblical concept, and it's called shalom. And it's in the Bible, and it talks about this, this concept of having like a deeper inner peace. And I wrote this down. It's an inner rest brought on by the presence of God regardless of the outside circumstances. So life could be utterly falling apart around you, but you have a deep 
inner sense of who God is and that God is good and he is for you and you are with him and there is a sense of happiness and peace that comes from that that can't be purchased, experienced or strived for. This whole idea of the prodigal son. So there's us searching for our mountaintop experiences or our skydiving or our shopping. That is not where happiness is to be found. And if you do find a little bit of joy in that, it's often fleeting. I saw this on Facebook. There's memes doing Facebook left, right and centre. And this little guy says, where did you find that? I've been searching everywhere for it. And the little person says, happiness, I created it myself. I don't know. Maybe that's the answer too. I think it's more complex. The prodigal son story that Matt told us just before, it's a story from the Bible and it's a story that Jesus told on purpose. So he was out in in the town and there were two groups of people around him. If you could divide the people in half, there were two groups of people. There were the people who had always done everything right, the religious goody-goodies, and they'd always done everything right. And then there was the people that they were cross that Jesus was hanging out with. He was hanging out with the prostitutes, with the liars, the tax collectors, the down and out, the broken, the hurting and the needy. And there were these two people. And Jesus told this story very much on purpose because he was trying to explain to his listeners what he was doing on earth, what his whole purpose of his journey was. And he was explaining it to these two groups of people. And as we go through March, we'll unpack the fact that the story ends horribly abruptly. Did you notice that when Matt told it? There's the son and he goes and he comes back and the father and he braces him and the cross older brother and the brother stands outside and says, nah. And it's the end and we don't actually know. And we're hanging on the edge of our seats going, yeah, but the way a story works is that there's twist and turn and, and then there's, and then there's the full circle and we, we come to revelation. We understand what's happening. But this story finishes really quickly. And I wonder what's the point? Why would Jesus not finish a story? Why would he cut it off and not finish it? Because he wants you to enter in. He wants you to say, oh, how does it end? What does the brother do? What does the dad do? What does the younger brother do? How does this pan out? I want to watch the sequel. It's not like Netflix is going to count me 14 seconds down and the next one's going to roll, which is just a killer. (laughs) But it's because he wants you to enter in and go, which one am I in the story? And what would I do? Or what have I done? Or what might happen next? So this is the younger brother. He's gone up to his father and he said, I want my inheritance. And for his father listening at that time, it wasn't quite as simple as it might be now, where we would say, radio, well, you know, your inheritance might be about this much and I'll kind of remortgage the house, but we can still live here and I'll give you your portion. Maybe later on we'll talk about it being a loan, I don't know, something. But Ian, here's a portion for you to go and do what you need to do. It wasn't the same in those days. What the son was saying to the father was in effect, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because then I could get the bit that I deserve. And in order for the father to turn around and divide 
in order to give to the son. He had to sell a portion of his estate. It wasn't like he had some money in the bank and was a little bit poorer. He had to look at his estate and divide a portion off and sell it and be humiliated by everybody in the town watching and have to survive with that much less land and that much less cattle and that much less assets. It was big. But this son said to his father, I don't, I want to live by my own rules. I don't want to be defined by you and belong to you. And I want it and I want it all now. And he left for a foreign land to pursue the things that he wanted. He was saying, the rules that you think I should live by, I don't want to. I'm going to go and search for my inner self. I'm going to go and define my rules. I'm going to go and find my way because my way is better. And actually, I don't want to belong to you. I don't want to be your son anymore. In fact, so much so that I'm going to leave and go to a whole different land, which was huge for that father to have heard and what was going on in that son. I want it and I want it all now. So what was going on in his needs, it's not really that dissimilar to what's going on in us. Sometimes we want to do it our way because we think we know better. And sometimes we don't want to belong and we want to be somewhere else and we think that the grass is greener somewhere else. And sometimes what we want is we want it now. So this is what happened to the young man. He found himself in a faraway land and he discovered that the grass was not greener. There were no guardrails to protect him. Living by the rules that the father had always given him helped him to be safe, helped him to make right choices, helped him to make good decisions, put him in good, safe places. But where he found himself, there were no guardrails. There was also no one to question him. When he went out to make a decision, there was nobody deeply invested in him that held up a mirror and said, do you really want this? Is this what you choose for your life? Because back home there were people deeply invested in him who would have called him to account and, sh- and, and held up a mirror to his life. But he was far away. And the worst part is where he had run to, there was no one to pick him up. And so he tried to sort himself out and found himself doing the lowest of the low of the low. And he came to his senses because he ran out of money and there was a drought. Because it's all good until it's not good anymore. And it's all great chasing things down until it falls apart. And sometimes it does because sometimes there is just a famine and it hits and it's hard. And you look around and go, where do I belong? Who's going to shine a mirror up to me so I can know who I am? To whom do I belong? Who's going to embrace me? Who's going to pick me up when I fall? So he realised that he did need the rules. He did indeed want to be a son. And in fact, so much so that he wanted to pay it all back. So he went back to his father. And this is the moment where I think that I would like to retitle the story to be called the prodigal father because we've actually misunderstood the idea of the prodigal son. We think that prodigal means like just 
racing off and doing whatever you please, but prodigal actually means reckless spending. Reckless, abundant, extravagant spending. And that's indeed what the son did. He took his inheritance and he recklessly, abandonedly, extravagantly spent it. But what happened when he came walking back down the road in humility and in vulnerability, broken, without his shoes on, in a mess, lost and alone? His father, in all his reckless abandon, leapt off the front porch, gathered up his clothes and ran to his son, which is unheard of for the father of the estate to get up and run and especially to get up and run to a son who had fully slapped him in the face years ago and humiliated him in front of everybody but he got up and he ran and more than that this father in his utter reckless abandon said come back in and and redressed him and reclothed him the way he ought to have been clothed in the first place. And this father, in all his reckless abandon, didn't give him a stern talking down to, didn't turn him away and say, no, sorry, buddy, you chose your path. Didn't take to him with a big stick, didn't do any of those things. He ran and he reoriented him and he clothed him and he embraced him. And more than that, he said, put a robe on him and a ring on his finger. He reinstated him to being the son that he was always meant to be, which is enormous. And more than that, and this is where it actually gets ridiculous, and I want to take you back to the moment of those two groups of people listening to Jesus tell the story, which is about to end very abruptly. He says, and let's chuck a party and kill the fatted calf. And you might go, great, they're having steak. No, it's... This is the fatted calf that they'd been fattening up for the biggest celebration of the decade, like a wedding or an enormous celebration because the fatted calf was too big for the dad and his boys. It was too big for the family and all the household and all the workers. It was actually the kind of celebration you invite the entire town to. And so this, this kid who says, I don't want to be here. I don't want to live by your rules. I want to find my own way. He comes back and discovers that his father says, absolutely, come, come back in, come be mine, come be part of everything. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to unpack the implications of that move on that older brother. Because if, if dad divided the inheritance and the son squandered this much, then the reckless abandon that the dad is currently spending, that's the older brother's inheritance. And he's got some issues with that. And we'll take that up in the coming weeks. But it's this whole extravagant expense. So what happens is that we find ourselves living our life, buying TVs, going shopping for clothes, searching for happiness, striving and looking everywhere we can to find meaning, to find that inner peace. 
And what we find is that out there searching the world, there are no guardrails to protect you. There's no one out there that's going to say, is this really who you want to be? And there's no one to pick you up when you fall. But we have a heavenly father who does absolutely what that father in that story did. And that's why Jesus tells the story. He's telling the story to tell his listeners who they really are. And he's telling the story to tell his listeners who God really is. And God is a prodigal God. He is extravagant in his expense. He spares no expense for any one of us to be brought back to him. No matter how far we've gone, no matter how long we've wandered, no matter how often we've wandered in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out of our Heavenly Father's presence. He says, I will spare no expense. I will absolutely reorient you. Come, be with my people and learn how to live, how to live the good life. Come and be reoriented. And he reinstates us. He says, come and be my children. Come and be in my family. And he rewards us. Because when we become part of God's family, we inherit the kingdom of God. We inherit the whole lot. And when Jesus is telling the story to these people, he's saying, this is why I've come. I've come to reorient you. I want to show you how to live how to love, how to be in relationships, how to forgive, how to be generous, how to stand for justice. He's showing us and he's reorienting us. And in Jesus, through his death, we are reinstated. We're no longer left to wander in life forever alone. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we are absolutely, utterly reinstated into God's family. And right before God. And like I said, he rewards us. Because what's true for Jesus has become true for us. We are God's children. We inherit the kingdom of God. And we have all the blessings and gifts that come from being a part of that. The reckless, extravagant love of the father. That's the prodigal father. So I guess the question is, what is there for us today? And it's a bit like that prodigal son. At some point in our lives, and it may happen again and again and again, or it may be one of those big one-off moments where you say, I do not want to be far away from the place in which I belong. I do need your rules, God. I do want to live your way. I don't want to just search for my own way. I do want to be your child. I actually want to be in your family, reinstated. Thank you to Jesus. And I do want to live my life as a thank you because there's part of the story where that son, the third thing he says is I want to make restitution. Put me to work and I will do my I will live the rest of my life to pay you back what I took. And so our lives can be a thank you. A thank you to God, that reckless, extravagant God who brought us back to himself. 
So we need to be able to say, God, I need your rules. God, I need to belong to your family. And thank you for taking me back. The Father will love you. That's why he let you go in the first place. He didn't, that Father didn't let that son go because he didn't want him there anymore. It's evidenced by the fact that he kept watch day and night looking for him. For us, there is a heavenly Father who watches daily, moment by moment, holding his breath to see if the children whom he loves will come back. Will stop running away, stop looking for the greener grass, stop seeking the answers elsewhere, but come back to the place where they belong, firmly tucked under the wing of the Heavenly Father, the one who created them in the first place. So my question for you today, we choose to recognise you're not slaves to this world, you're children of God. And you're children of a God who is extravagant, lavish, reckless and abundant towards you. We're going to sing a couple of songs and I'd love for you to just take a moment. What does that mean for me? Who am I in this story? And what does God want of me? What would it look like to come back?